Hello everyone and welcome to Drag Me Up with William King. This is episode 7 of the podcast and on today's podcast I talk with Dr. Anise Mabry of the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation about her upcoming event Drag for Diplomas. It is going to be a charity drag show held in Atlanta on April 6th from 11 o'clock in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. It is going to have some great drag queens and myself making my debut as King Willie Valentine, a drag king, and it's going for a great cause. It's going to help the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation with Thrive for Pride, which helps LGBTQ youth who have dropped out of high school have an alternative way to get their diploma. This is such a great cause and Dr. Mabry is such a wonderful person. I will let you know more about tickets and where it will be in the coming week or two. So stay tuned on my Facebook page with Drag Me Up with William King. That way you can know exactly when the event will be and where it will be and how much it will be for. All of the tips and proceeds go to this charity and this nonprofit. It is so, like I can't say enough, it is such a wonderful organization. You'll hear more about it in the podcast. I'm excited for it, not only because I'm making my drag debut and I'm performing alongside some queens I know very well and who are just amazing people and performers, but this is going for such a wonderful cause and I hope y'all all can make it out and give some money back to these youth who just are trying their best. And without further ado, let's jump into this podcast. Dr. Mabry, thank you so much for meeting with me today to be on the podcast. Hello, William. It's very nice to meet you today. I am so excited to be on the podcast. I'm glad you're here, and you're here to talk about the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation and the Drag for Diplomas event happening in April? Yeah, April the 6th, here in Midtown Atlanta. Okay. So, I was actually, uh, do you know the specific venue where it's going to be, or? We are in talks with my sister's room, which is the oldest lesbian bar in the southeast, and they just expanded to a brand new, beautiful location. So how cool would it be to have the inaugural event, Drag for Diplomas, at the oldest lesbian bar in the southeast? That's actually really neat. I know one of the queens who performs there pretty regularly, uh, St. Venus Valentine. Oh, wow. I actually just had her on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, and she was talking about them moving into a bigger space. And I had no idea it was uh, the oldest lesbian bar in the South. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. It, you know, and that's the thing. A lot of our, what a lot of people don't understand about the history of drag, and it's really its importance to us as gay and lesbian people, is the Stonewall Riots. Um, the, it was actually the drag queens who led the Stonewall Riots. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. And this is coming up on the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Oh, wow. And so, you know, when you think about our history and who we are as gay and lesbian people, um, only 50 years ago, you know, were the police throwing us on the ground and arresting us. And, and truthfully, you know, in some places, not a lot has changed in terms of how the police interact with gay and lesbian people, um, but, you know, what we're doing here, and especially the work that you're doing in chronologically our history, this is our history, and, you know, it's important, it's needed, because once, those, once the drag queens who really start the movement, once they pass away, 
their voices are gone forever, their stories are gone forever, our history is gone forever. Yeah, of course. And that's what I'm really interested in, and I've said it before on the podcast, is not only hearing the stories of this is where I do drag or this is what I do, but hearing the, just chronicling the stories of them as a person. Right. And a big part of that is being in drag, but a lot of it's outside of that is how they kind of go through their day-to-day life as a part of the LGBTQ community. Um, yes. And it definitely is uh, really, it's different than just kind of going through it as a uh, heterosexual person. Because I'm pretty young to the, it's been just under a year since I came out. So oh, wow. Yeah, it'll be, March will be a year. Um, so I'm still kind of learning things and it's very new but it's really exciting I've been out since 1992 and um, I moved up to Atlanta from a small town called America's Georgia um, after I came from Newton, Georgia and the very first year that I got to Atlanta I graduated on June 10th Um, I arrived in Atlanta sometime like about the weekend before the Atlanta Pride Festival which used to be held in June of every year and so I went to the Atlanta Gay Center, which was in Midtown, and they used to have a group for teens on Thursday night. And they were like, hey, let's go to Pride. And I was like, okay, what is it? And they were like, well, it's just going to be a whole bunch of gay people hanging out in the park. And I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. Yeah, let's go. So, you know, I show up on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of this, it was probably about seven or 800 people that were getting ready to march down the beach street. And that first Pride Parade, I had never felt so accepted and so normal and so comfortable and so welcoming and so welcomed, period. And I will always remember, um, we were marching and, you know, of course we had the the anti-gay groups. And that year, for some reason, they were all riled up because... um, it was, there was something going on with Cracker Barrel where Cracker Barrel had fired employees for being lesbian and gay. And so, you know, there were a lot of people, it was a group called Act Up Atlanta, and they were, you know, they were protesting that. And then the anti-gay groups, um, of course, it was the West Rural Baptist, you know, the, the normal hate groups, the, sure. you know, the normal variety of haters. So they were out there, but that year they were throwing glass bottles and tomatoes and like rotten food at us. Oh, goodness. And I will always remember um, one of the, the really tall uh, guys, I think he was with the Atlanta Bear community. I was like, I was just a young kid and he puts me on his shoulders because I was short and everybody was trying to move really fast. So I was getting trampled, so he puts me on his shoulders. And then the, one of the Jewish synagogues, congregation of Bet Haverim, I think it is, um, they had these, they used their bodies as human shields to protect the teenagers from all of the, the stuff that was being thrown at us. You know, because I mean, we were, we were small. Sure. And, you know, that just, that image just seared in my mind and in my brain and, um, you know, to me, that's what it meant coming out as a lesbian in 1992 in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, you know, this community has always been very near and very dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that I don't think that you find in other communities. It's just that level of support. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, I went to my first Pride Festival last year here in Atlanta. Uh, 
and I had the same feeling, but it's just there's overwhelming amounts of love and support. Because uh, I went out with, like, a full makeup done, uh, like, hair dyed, my beard was dyed, like, just all, like, I'm going, jumping into this, I'm going all out. And I don't know how many strangers stopped to ask myself and my friend who was in full drag to take pictures with us and, or, like, compliment how like how nice we looked or how pretty our makeup was, things like that. Yeah. And these are people I'd never met, probably will never meet again. Uh, but we just share a common bond, and it was such an amazing thing. But it just blows my mind to hear that not that long ago, it was a very different scene at Fry. I mean, the love was still there, but the amount of hate that was there was pretty heavy as well. And there were general hate protesters here as well, but there were maybe 20 or 30 of them, and all they had were signs compared to like, your experience where it was like, violence towards you. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and it, was, it was a very different time for the police in Atlanta, too, because, you know, in the 90s, we had Mayor Bill Campbell, and um, he was not the most friendliest mayor to the gay and lesbian community. He evolved into becoming friendly to the gay and lesbian community. But when he first started out, it wasn't who, one of his primary goals was not to protect us. And, you know, the, the way that the police officers used to do pride is um, it was just kind of anybody who wanted to volunteer for that assignment. And, of course, you know, there's not a lot of people that are going to volunteer to go protect a group of gay people. No, of course not. Um, but, you know, but there were some, and the Atlanta Police Department and the relationship with the, the LGBTQ community has truly evolved, and it's become more of a model for what other departments throughout the nation really need to follow. You know, this is, this is the blueprint of how you build an inclusive police department and how the police department and the gay and lesbian and transgender community can work together collaboratively. Certainly. Uh. Well, that's like I know when I went, uh, my family was definitely worried at first because this is, because in this day and age we live in, those are targets for things. Uh, and so they were definitely apprehensive. And then I get there and there are countless police officers probably every block. Yes. And I'm ones that, you had some that just looked like, oh, this is just another assignment. That's okay. It's a Saturday where they'd probably rather be doing something else. Uh, but then you had a lot of them who were like smiling, take pictures with people, and even though they're still doing their job, they were kind of embracing having some fun with people. Uh, and it was really nice to see that there's a lot of security here. To an extent, it can all be a little off-putting at first because it is it kind of grounds you back to reality that as much love and support there is here, it's still a danger to an extent. Uh, but when you kind of move past that, it is very nice to see that there is a lot of protection here, that they, and there are people who want to protect you here. Uh. And, you know, and that's something that, um, you know, I've watched that grow in the community. And when I, you know, because I started out as, a, first I started out as a police officer, and then I became a third grade teacher, and then I became a college professor, and then I became a a department chair and then a faculty training manager and then eventually the dean of graduate studies and you know through that that evolution um, 
I always, I don't know if I sought the students out who I called the academically invisible. You know, they were the students that they were there, but they were also forgotten, so to speak. And um, it wasn't until 2000 that my daughter was in middle school and she became a victim of the most severe case of bullying that Rockville County. Um, they said that they had ever experienced. My daughter was bullied so severely that she had a psychotic break. And, you know, it, it forever, it profoundly changed our family dynamics. It profoundly changed my daughter's life. Um, and the only way that I knew to save my child was to walk away from my career and homeschool her. And, you know, in homeschooling my daughter, then two years later we find out that my son is on the autism spectrum. So then I end up having to pull him in and homeschool him as well. So it was like, I, I always felt like I was trying to navigate a monsoon. But the beauty of navigating the monsoon was I built a platform for all of these other students that were um, academically invisible. Definitely. You know, and educationally excluded. You know, educational exclusion is real in school. Schools can't say you're gay and lesbian, you, you know, um, well, why don't you just drop out? But they can say, you know, we're not sure if you're going to be safe in this school. So maybe you want to look at going to another school. Yeah. Well, if you were in rural Georgia, there's not a whole, you know, you don't have a whole lot of options. So, you know, these kids, our gay, our LGBTQ youth are leaving school, not because they want to, but because they're being excluded out of the classroom. And so that was when I began using my program um, to help our homeless and academically excluded uh, LGBTQ youth to get their diploma. And recently, in the past year, I took the program to Macon County, Georgia. And the beautiful thing about Macon County is it's one of those little rural, southern Georgia forgotten communities that when the I-75 corridor came through, it really cut off this community from the rest of Georgia. And it cut off their economic development. And, you know, so they, they've been struggling a long time. But the beautiful thing about people in Macon County is they've got a spirit about them that, you know, it's a spirit of resilience. And what I found down there was that the gay and lesbian and the transgender teenagers in that community, they were leaving school at an alarming rate because, you know, this is rural South Georgia um, and there was nobody there to really protect them. You know, and the a lot of times, um, you know, when they would, there's one a transgender student down there who is um, a male transitioning to female, and she dresses. I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous, you know, but you know, people won't even use the correct pronouns with her, and that makes me so crazy. And you know, even when I'm talking to people about her, and they'll say, "Well, it," I was like, "No, it is a pronoun that refers to a thing." You use he or you use she, and she presents as a woman, so you need to use she. Definitely. And, you know, and it's just it's stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I couldn't even imagine sitting in class for eight hours and someone not even using a correct pronoun for me. I couldn't imagine. I know it happens so often that uh, 
it's either because people just don't want to, and or they just I don't know if they don't feel like there's almost just confusion about it or what. But I feel like in that in that, that alone, would want, if I were in that position, would push me to leave because if I'm not being given, even like called at my most basis who I am, then I would just why would I want to stay? Uh, and I've had a few friends, or I have a friend now who's transitioning. And, uh, it's a slower process. It's fine. It's just different for everyone. But uh, I can only imagine what that's like because coming out is uh, like gay is one thing, but to like you know, always, and it's all I've seen a lot in the Atlanta community is like a lot of solidarity with our trans brothers and sisters because. It's one that, like I feel like they have a whole different fight ahead of them. They really do. Because it's such a bigger shift for them to be who they are. And that I think a lot of people are having a lot harder time understanding. Uh, that, and I just, I know I, even before I came out, before I really realized I was LGBT, always really had, kind of my heart went out to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, really wanted to ally and rally around them. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's wonderful what your organization's doing uh, in providing alternatives to people who really don't have a chance. And that, you know, that is, that has always been so near and so dear to my heart. Um, really, my, the turning point for me was probably Easter weekend about two years ago. I got a call from a friend, and she said, hey, um, I need to share a Facebook post with you. Do you mind if I tag your wall? I was like, absolutely, tag my wall. So she shares the post, and my other friend had rescued a young man who had been sleeping in Piedmont Park, um, and it was Easter weekend, and he was from a small rural South Georgia community, and he had left home because it was just, he couldn't. You know, he just couldn't take it at home anymore. So, my the post was, does anyone have any GED books that they can help use? Because, you know, he doesn't have a high school diploma. And um, we really want to get him into the GED program. So, I picked up the phone and I called and I said, hey, I don't have any GED books, but I do have this program. And it's a high school diploma. And so, we, I took him to dinner and we went to Henry's in Midtown. And um, I told him, I said, this program that I'm about to tell you about, you are going to work harder than you've ever worked before. I was like, there are going to be moments when you hate me, when you don't want to do the work, when you don't like me. I said, but the beautiful thing is you don't always have to like me. You don't always have to love me. I just need you to do this program so we can get your diploma. And I said, you know, I said, you don't have to give me an answer right now. I said, because I know that I'm asking you to turn your mind inside out when your whole world has just been turned inside out. And I said, but, um, I said, if you stick with me, I promise that your life will be different. And he he said, you know, he said, I don't need to think about it. He said, I want to do this with you. And I said, okay. I said, I understand what you're saying to me. And so for a whole year, um, my wife and I 
drove up every weekend. And I was sat. I sat down with him. We did homework together because he needed an entire curriculum. I mean, he had stopped school in the eighth grade. Oh wow! And so you know, I mean, we we worked. We worked. I pulled in tutors from the community to work with him. You know, when I ran into subjects that I didn't know anything about. I would send out a Facebook message. I was like, okay, who's strong in math? Okay, um, who's good in science? You know, the next class coming up, because the way our program works, the students do one class every 30 days. So it's like, if you hate a class, you're only in it for 30 days, and then you're done. But you have to work five hours a day for 30 days. So, um, yeah, I will always remember the very last class that he was doing with me. It was the night of the tornadoes in Georgia. And he was, um, he had gone out with his uncle and they were going to go camping. And he ended up in a tent with the tornado rolling in. And I had no idea that they were camping. I thought that he was staying in Atlanta. Um, I had no idea he was in the path of the tornado. So I'm screaming and yelling at him about missing an essay deadline. And, you know, the uncle is yelling at him to take cover from the tornado. And he's literally on his phone typing his essay to me. And so I said to him after he turned it in, after I realized everything, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for you to write your essay in the middle of the tornado. He's like, Dr. Mabry, I was more afraid of disappointing you than I was that tornado that was rolling through. I was like, wow. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's definitely, I think it says a lot of good, but I think that shows that you do like, had a very positive impact for a person who really needed it. Um, because I've had teachers and professors, I would be the same way, where, I mean, I would hate to disappoint them in any way. Um, and I think it's wonderful, because I have actually family who is currently homeschooling and things. Um, and because they have certain different learning disabilities, uh, of varying degrees of severity. And so, uh, when you reached out to me about this program and I looked it up some more, I thought it was just a wonderful thing. Uh, and when I read more about the Thrive for Pride specifically, I really kind of jumped in on that. <laughs> You're uh, like, yes, I want, to do, I want to help with Thrive for Pride. Certainly. Uh, Thrive for Pride is our newest program, and I am so grateful to the Atlanta Pride community and the Atlanta Pride Committee, um, because the Atlanta Pride Committee has a program called Reinvestment Grants. And that's where they reinvest into smaller nonprofits in the community. And they focus on nonprofits that don't always get the level of support from your big backers, like your, you know, your corporations. Um, and so when they selected the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation to receive the grant for 2018, um, I was able to launch the Thrive with Pride program. And Thrive with Pride is a program that's dedicated only to our homeless and our at-risk LGBTQ youth. And it provides them with the resources that they need to graduate with a diploma. Which leads us to the Thrive with Pride Drag for Diplomas event. Definitely. Um, so about three years ago, everyone kept saying to me, you need to do, a, you need, we need a drag show in our community that will focus on diplomas. And, we need a drag for diplomas. We need to drag for diplomas. And I mean, William, I'll be honest. I am not a fundraising person. I am an <laughs> academician. I'm a podcaster. I'm a homeschool mom. I'm a police officer. I'm a, I'm a sometimes wife, if you ask my wife. Um, 
but I'm not a fundraiser. Sure. So I was like, oh my goodness, y'all want me to do a fundraiser. So then it came back and Atlanta Pride Committee said, okay, not only do we want you to do a fundraiser, we're going to co-sponsor you and do it. And I, I was like, oh, okay, well, if y'all are going to help me, then yeah, I can, I can do a fundraiser. Uh. So that's how Thrive with Pride Drag for Diplomas was born. And so then I started putting the event together, and I was like, well, wait a minute, I don't really know. All my drag kings have, have transitioned and become trans men. And I'm like, I don't really know a lot of drag queens anymore. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Not sure how this is going to work, but we're going to figure it out. And, um, you know, and so I just started kind of putting different things out there. And, you know, it's like, okay, does anybody know any current drag queens? And then someone shared your podcast with me. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I was like, I was more impressed that you were a brand new podcast because I remembered my struggle when I was launching my podcast network. And so um, I was like, this is like, you know, like one of those kumbaya moments where you hear the angels chime and it's like everything comes together. So that's kind of how I felt when I found you. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm I'm so thankful it was shared to you. I thought it was funny when you asked if I could come perform because I am not a drag queen and have never done drag. Uh, I got worn makeup out and done things close to it, but I've never done it. Uh, but no, I've gotten to know the Atlanta drag community fairly well, and, and due in part partially to this podcast. Uh, I've had some queens reach out to me, and some I've had to go to, but. Uh, I think it's a fantastic way to fundraise through a drag, a drag event because I've noticed people, both LGBT or not, really enjoy going to drag shows. Yes. Uh, because they're, I mean, they're just such a fun way to entertain because they can be. I mean, people always people ask me a lot since they know that I'm associated with the drag community. Like, what's a drag show like? And it's hard to describe it because depending on where you go and what cast you're seeing, yes. very different. Uh, so the best thing I can tell is like, well, it's entertaining, um, and depending on who you're seeing, it's generally men impersonating women. However, that's not always the case. Right. Uh, it so it's one of those that it's. I was like, you might want to Google it to better understand because there is a lot of information to it that I don't even necessarily have. I describe it as Tyler Perry meets Mama's family on steroids. See <laughs> the way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> I had not thought about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, because people always ask me, they're like, so what do drag queens do? And I'm like, think Tyler Perry meets Mama's family on steroids. And nope. I was like, you know, I said, drag queens are some of the, the most fiercely loyal supportive, I got your back, we gonna fight for you in the trenches, people that you will ever meet. And, um, you know, because I, I used to always tell one of my friends, Motion Adrian, who was one of the original performers of Backstreet, I used to always say, honey, if I'm ever in a gunfight, forget sending SWAT, I'll take you. I'll take you any day over a SWAT team. Um, because I knew that, with you know, I was gonna survive. And, um, you know, and that's what people, you know, people who are not in the community, they don't understand that that side of it. You know, and what I love about um, the drag kings and queens is they use their stage personas 
to really work through a lot of their their personal pain. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there's just there's such a beauty and a strength in that that you know sometimes you miss it. Um, and, and I love I love the costumes and you know my friend Tommy who's Siobhan Scott. Um, Tommy has done my makeup for over 20 years, and um, I you know I that was where I first learned the term beat your face. And so I'm like Tommy, you're gonna have to beat my face for this this event. I know, I, like I've practiced with makeup and it's getting better, but Lord, when a drag queen does your makeup, it is something else. You look flawless. You do, it's incredible. I'm like, man. Yeah, that's, I'm like, I was joking because, you know, the, the transgender student in Macon County, I, I told her, I said, honey, can you just come do my makeup every day just so that I can wake up looking like you so I can be like, I woke up like this. And it's just something else. And it's funny that you mentioned, like, because I've been backstage on a lot of drag shows no, because I know a lot of the queens and people that I don't think they understand that drag sh- there's so much more to drag than just going up there and doing it I mean right. you are a makeup artist a choreographer a Everything. I mean stylist uh, yes. you have to come up with music selections do your makeup style your wig pick out your costumes promote yourself do, and there's so much work into it for those three or four minutes of entertainment. Yes. And so that's why, I, like, design, I'm a performer, but through a musician, and there's a lot of work to that. But it's so different with these drag performers because it's kind of a good window in the LGBT community, but they have to do so much work for such a short amount of a short time up on stage. But they're always so, what I've noticed after shows, so grateful just to take pictures with you or talk to you talk to you for a minute because they they're doing it because they enjoy what they're doing and they they enjoy entertaining and so from what i've known from these people like obviously sending them's wonderful but there i there's the same of going up to them after a show and just letting them know how much you enjoyed it means so much and that's why I think it's great that, we're, that you're putting on something like Drag for Diplomas. Because, one, it's a great form of entertainment, but I've known a couple different charity shows that do so well because a lot of people enjoy it, but when they know their money's going to a good cause, it, they really... There's a, they like, it's almost... They're more willing to give money because, one, they're being entertained, but, two, their money's going to something that's going to really help people who need it. Yes. And from what it sounds like, Thrive with Pride and the Dr. Nice Foundation as a whole is doing a ton of good for people who really need it. Well, you know, and it's people that there's no other alternative diploma program in the state of Georgia. In the state of Georgia, if you leave high school, you know, I joke all the time. I said, Georgia is one of those states that we give kids an exit ramp out of high school, but we don't give them an entrance ramp to return. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, you can leave, but you can't come back. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of times when you are young, LGBTQ, um, you're not thinking of what, how is this decision today going to impact my life five years from now, not even five minutes from now. Yeah. You are simply in that moment, making that decision in that moment. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that why this program is so important. And it, 
I saw a hashtag the other night. Um, we all we got and we all we need. And we really are all that we have. And ultimately, we really are all that we need. You know, in the in the gay community in the early 80s and 90s, you know, we didn't have homeless gay and lesbian youth because we counter-served on each other's sofas. We're not that community, you know, we're not that, um, that's not who we are as a culture anymore. You know, because we're so mobile and we're, it's just, it's not the, not the same. So that's why we have to have resources as safety nets. Sure. Um, and, you know, that's why I'm so big on partnering with other gay and lesbian um, and transgender nonprofits. And, you know, because we, we really are all we've got. Yeah. You know, if we don't support each other, if we don't pour into each other, then we can't be mad when, you know, the other community, the heterosexual community, doesn't pour into us. Yeah. You know, we have to support each other because we really are all that we have. Well, that's an interesting point. I had a friend of mine talking to me about specifically that. He's like, mm-hmm. I, he's, I understand, he's a heterosexual, but he's, I understand the plight of the LGBT, or as well as, as someone can. He's like, but at the same time, if y'all can't accept each other, I can't remember what he was referencing specifically, then how do you expect the people outside of it to accept you? Yeah. And I 100% agree that, uh, as a whole, there is a lot of solidarity, but like any large group of people, there are people with differences. Uh, and it's just another one of those that need to be overcome. But it is a good point that, well, if we can't coexist, how do you expect other people to coexist with you? And, uh, and I think it's something that needs to be worked on with both extent. And I think a lot of these nonprofits, including this one, are really doing a good job of pushing that forward. Well, I call it doing the trench work. You know, it's one thing to have a nonprofit and to have a beautiful office and to have all of the beautiful accolades, but it's a whole other thing to have the nonprofit and do the trench work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I do the trench work. My nonprofit is just me and my business partner, Rhonda, um, and my board of directors. You know, I don't have a... I don't have a huge administrative task. You know, when I need administrative tasks, I bring in um, either student interns or I outsource to companies like Fiverr or Guru or something. Um, but I always try to tap my LGBT community first um, before I go out. You know, and even when it came down to doing this fundraiser, you know, because everybody was like, oh, you know, well, you need to go here and you need to look here. And I was like, no, if I'm going to spend money on a venue, I'm putting that money in my community. And I'm so passionate about that. Because if I'm not willing to put money into my community, then I shouldn't be mad when other people don't want to spend money in my community. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Uh, I think it's great that that is something that you're doing. It's kind of... I'm going to be doing this, but I'm going to give back to my community first, so that hopefully, at a time, they will give back to me. Right. Uh, it's one of those, I can't expect you to do anything for me if I'm not willing to do anything for you. Right. Uh, and I think it's huge. Uh, that's only I'm back in school for, is going to, because I want to work with nonprofit organizations that kind of push forward the LGBT community. 
uh, or help better the community or foster a sense of understanding of it. Um, if you asked me a year or two ago what I'd be doing, I was going to school to be a minister, but uh, <laughs> things change pretty quickly. Life evolves. Life <laughs> evolves. And you just you have to evolve with it. Certainly. Uh, and so I think it's wonderful when I'm... Uh, after you reached out to me, I read up a lot more about the Sunday your foundation. I, I was just thoroughly impressed by what you're doing. Uh, even as a small foundation, I thought that uh, doing this Drag for Diplomas event is going to be, I think, just a wonderful thing. Uh, I love the location you're doing it at with my sister's room. And, uh, I think with Atlanta, there are a lot of talented queens that and two queens and kings. Oh yeah, uh, that can certainly put on a good show. Well, you know, and I think that's one of our our biggest needs in going forward with this. You know, now that we've got the venue secured, um, we need performers. Yeah. You know, and we need performers. You know, it's like I was joking. I said, um, I want performers who really want to do this. You know. Um, and all, all of them, all performers want to do it. But, you know, um, a lot of times there's a, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, you know, I would love to do it, but how much can you pay me? Exactly. And, you know, I, I truly want people who want to do this because they genuinely want to do this. Well, I know a few performers that will do shows that are completely charity. None of the tips they are given go to them. It right. is 100% a charity that I believe changes every month so that they're giving them multiple things. Right. I always think that's like really beautiful that they're going to give their time and do all of this like the couple of hours it takes to get ready beforehand and, uh, to go out and perform and not get anything from it aside from I'm the feeling that they're giving to somebody else. The feeling that I made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. Like I think there's obviously there's nothing wrong with wanting to perform for tips or oh, monetary gain. Because it's a business. Sure. At, at the end of the day, you know, they are their own brand. Yeah. And they are a business. But I, I definitely understand you wanting people who not just want to be there, but who really want to do this to yes. make a difference. Who have a passion for it. Yeah. Passion. I think that's that's the biggest thing, you know, having a passion for the program and for our students and for our population. Um, because, you know, I am, I, you're probably closer to the generation than I am, but, you know, back in 88, 89, 90, I think I was probably the only lesbian in high school. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I had the privilege of being able to pass. But that's not a luxury, a luxury that a lot of our students have. Yeah. You know, they, they, they either choose not to pass or they simply can't pass. And I need these students to be safe. I need them to know that they are loved. I need them to know that no matter what, we as a community, we've got you. And we want you to truly thrive with pride. Because I was back in high school from 09 to 2013. There were a few people that, uh, I knew one or two people who came out during high school. And, uh, I believe we had one transgender female student. Uh, and to me, anyway, I didn't think anything of it. Uh, I was, like it surprised me at first when she was a student that didn't start at our school. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was surprised when I saw her around the halls at first, but and I didn't. It really, I didn't I mean, even look twice. Right. Uh, 
but I knew some people in the town that I lived in as a whole kind of did think something about that. Because we lived, I, I lived in a town that was, it's not a big town. It has a couple rich families that kind of rule over the town for lack of yes. terminology. Uh, and, so, and this was still two years before the uh, Marriage Quality Act was passed. Uh, so it was one of those, it was still kind of, people didn't even have, when LGBT people would say, We're, look, we want equal rights. Didn't have, people couldn't even make the argument, yeah, well, y'all can get married, What's what else is there that y'all need? Right. Which, uh, I can always say that there are quite a few things, but it's not not quite equal, but that's for another day in time. Right. <laughs> uh, but, it, so, it was, I think it was just interesting that, from what I could tell, none of the student body really batted an eye with, like, one of their friends all of a sudden came out as being gay or a lesbian or bisexual or whatever. And as far as I can tell, I wish I could remember her name, but I can't. Uh, she was a pretty popular student at the school, and like no one batted an eye at her being a transgender student. Uh, I think they're just like, oh, okay, you're just a new person, and you're just really a genuinely good person. So. See, and that's how I wish. I wish all students could have that experience. No, I think they, they get to come to school and who as who they are. And they are accepted for who they are. Um, but you know, for those students who can't, I, I need them to know that there's an avenue. And you know, just because you leave school doesn't mean that you can't get a diploma. Uh, I think that's great that there is. They do give you like your foundation is giving students another chance at getting their diploma. Because, uh, like you said. It's, it's easy to leave high school, but after that, you're, I mean, you don't really have a chance. You know, and the G, you know, not knocking the GED, but the GED is one of the hardest tests that you will ever try to take in your life. Um, and, you know, what most people don't know about the GED is only 20% of the population who take the GED actually pass all five tests the first time. And they have to pay $45 per test. And if you don't pass the test, you got to pay for the retake. Oh my goodness. So, you know, it starts to add up really quickly. It's always made out to be, oh, well, if you drive out of high school, you can just go get your GED. Like, yeah. it's the same thing. It's not that easy. But exactly, there are things they don't tell you is that right. it isn't that easy. It's, I mean, it's a rigorous thing. It's a very rigorous test. And, you know, I mean, even some, some um, national corporations they have even changed their employment application. It no longer says, do you have a high school diploma or a GED? It specifically says, are you a high school graduate? So that means that if you have a GED, you can't check yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's, I think it's a really a, a noble cause giving these students another chance at a diploma. Because uh, it's opening them up to so much more than even if they got their GED or didn't do that. I mean, because at this point, without a high school diploma or a GED, you, there's not a lot you are able to do. No. And, you know, I think there's there's something coming down. Um, I want to say it's in either 2023 or 2024 that no job that, that, that participates in federal um, programs will be able to hire people that don't have a high school diploma. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that that's not that far away. No, it's really not. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it's a really just a great cause. It's really pretty wonderful to be passionate about. Is giving kids a chance. 
Yeah. Uh, it was like high school students, a lot of them, and I remember myself being the same way, thinking that you're an adult mm-hmm. and thinking that I, I was not out when I was in high school. Because uh, I didn't, I wasn't even a it had not crossed my mind that I was uh, an LGBT person. But thinking that, oh, if I drop out, I'll be fine. I have other things I can do. Right. And then you drop out. And once you're out for a little while, realize that, unfortunately, it's not that simple. Right. And then you can't come back, you know, because we got that exit only ramp. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like I, I joke. I said dropping out of high school is like that exit on that Maynard Terrace exit on I-20. <laughs> can't get back on. Can't get back on. Well, you can exit off. Can't get back on. That's why I think it's really great that with this foundation, hopefully more, it's starting to give an entrance ramp again, which I think is huge because, like you said, with some of these LGBT youth, they don't have a choice. They're thinking only in the moment. They don't have time to think like one year, five years ahead. What's going to happen? They're, they're in the, the immediate, you know, and it's like, I call it crisis thinking. You know, when you're in crisis thinking, you're not thinking about what is this crisis going to look like five minutes from now or five days from now or five hours from now. You're thinking about how is it, how am I going to navigate this crisis right now? Sure. You know, how am I going to survive this right now? And, um, you know, that's, that's why this program is so very near and dear to the Lord. it's like the, yeah. Crisis. I had, I knew somebody who, when they came out, their family completely disowned them. Like you were, uh, they came around eventually, but to begin with, it was just we don't want anything to do with you. You can, you can basically you can stay in the house, but that's about it. Uh, and I, I don't know how many stories I've heard similar to that, and it's just heartbreaking to hear. And I think there are a lot of wonderful stories where it's. So I said, oh, okay, that's, I'm glad you can be who you are. We're going to worry more about you. Right. But I'm glad that you can be who you are. Uh, but, you know, I hope that with things like, like uh, this Thrive for Pride and other organizations can work towards making those stories more common, hearing less and less of the, I've been, like, thrown out with nowhere to go. What do I do next? What do I do uh, like even before I came out, I had a pretty good idea my family would be perfectly fine. They'd probably have questions and be worried, but I knew they'd be okay. But I still read like, the Human Rights Campaign as a pamphlets for basically a guide to coming in. Uh, and the first thing they tell you is have a place to stay lined up, make sure you're safe and can do this. And that's and when I read that, it just really hit the a lot of people cannot do this safely. And it's such, like, to me, it's such an awful thing. That's why I want to get in with working with different, these nonprofit organizations. So hopefully that can, that part can be erased. And I think that it, housing for gay and lesbian teens is one of the most challenging um, areas that we are still navigating. And uh, Rick Westbrook, who was the founder and executive director of Lost and Found Me for a number of years, um, he started a drop-in shelter where the kids could come and they could shower, they could, you know, get a hot meal, they could get rest. Um, because we found that 
the that when the children leave home or when they run away, we have 48 hours to save them before they turn to survival sex for food. Um, or, you know, they turn to survival sex for a place to sleep. And Rick has now launched a new nonprofit called Rainbow House that is actually going to work with homeless, gay, and lesbian teens to get them into their own housing, their own apartments. And, uh, yeah, I'll connect you with Rick because he is, Rick is one of my dearest friends. And when I came out, he was one of the, the people from the Atlanta Gay Center who cocooned me and who took care of me and who made sure that I was safe, um, Rick made sure that I was always protected, and, you know, Rick, we had this thing where if I was ever in trouble, I could call him, he would come pick me up, no questions asked. That's wonderful. And that's what I do with my students now, you know, my gay and lesbian students, if they get in trouble, you call me, I'll come, no questions asked. It's not saying that we're not going to talk about this later, Sure. but we're just not going to have that discussion right then. Yeah. Well, it's like with my, I've had, after I came out with friends and my mom, and well, both my parents, but my mom especially became what I like to call like a tiger mom. Like, yes. It's fierce. <laughs> I've, I've been her, I've faced harassment before, and things. I was very cautious about telling her because I knew that she would, she would be worried. But I was also cautious for the person harassing because she mentioned multiple times that if she were there that would not have ended well for anybody involved <laughs> and I've had friends do the same thing I, I would tell them about it they're like well I had one person like why is that person still breathing it's like, mm-hmm. well, it was like I have that same but it's like and you always think about oh well this if someone ever came up to me and was harassing me this is what I would do right until it does happen and then you don't know what to do you don't I mean when someone's yelling at you and calling you homophobic slurs and things and you, at least in my case, your brain just kind of you goes into shock. You do. You go into this kind of alert of what I do in the next like thirty seconds could shift how things go one way or the other to an extreme. Yeah. And I generally learned the best thing is just not say anything because and either just walk away, get to a group of people, whatever, just not be directly with mm-hmm. whomever it is that's harassing in whatever way. Uh, but it is nice to know that I have family and friends who will stand up for oh, yeah. injustice and things that are not right. Uh, and I think a lot of people, I've had random strangers do that. Uh, and that really gave me a lot of good feelings about uh, just the population as a whole. That they are, There are people who they don't know you but they're willing to stand up for something that's not right. Yes, that the whole see something, say something, and I, I take it a step further. I say, see something, say something, do something. Yeah, I think that's great. Do something. I think that's huge, that going one step further, do something, it doesn't mean you have to go up and confront directly. No. Because a lot of times that's not the right course of action. But like, there's that, there is always something you can do, but you don't have to directly get involved. You, know, you can get the person that's being attacked into a safe space. Yeah. You know, and that's, that, a lot of times that's even more helpful than trying to confront the person doing the attacking. Yeah, definitely. You know, just disengage and get the person being attacked to a safe space. It's something I've not heard called like hero syndrome. Don't come down thinking you have to be a hero. Right. Because it's always, unless you are 100% certain you can deal with the situation, 
do not do it because you're going to make it worse or you're going to endanger yourself. Uh, but no, I think it's definitely like you said, if you can get into a safe space or just away from the problem, then you are set. Like that is probably the best thing you can do. And so, I just I think that's in talking with you about the drag for diplomas and the foundation, I think it's just been wonderful and I would love to hear what you're doing. Uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that the foundation's doing for the community. Uh, and I'm incredibly excited to see this, to be able to go to the drag for diplomas event. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I fully expect you to be there on the front row. Oh, I was thrilled. With your mic, recording I, everything. Oh, certainly. I was thrilled when uh, you reached out and invited me to go. Uh, and I cannot wait for it. I think it's going to be a wonderful event. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, uh, I had a wonderful time talking to you and hearing your story, not only the story of your Dr. Nice Mabry Foundation, but yours, just your story in general. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for coming out on a cold Saturday afternoon um, when I know that you could be doing other things. And, you know, again, Thrive for Pride, Drag for Diplomas is Saturday, April the 6th. Uh, the event will start promptly at 11. That's 11 regular time, not gay standard time. That is 11. Um, it'll go until 3 o'clock. We are going to have a DJ. Um, we will have brunch. We'll definitely have alcohol. And we need you there. If you're a performer, or if you know a performer, or if you've never performed before and you think you might want to perform, this would probably be the event to do it at. Um, because you would be surrounded by lots of loving people. And if people want to perform and get in contact with you, how can they get in contact with you? That is a great question. So the do- there's the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation, and that's D-R-A-N-N-I-S-E-M-A. As in boy, R-Y, dot com, or our website, or you can look for Drag for Diplomas on Facebook, and the event will pop up, and you can shoot me a message on there, and um, or you can follow um, some of the links in the show notes that I'm sure William will drop in there, and you Sorry. can follow us on social media and everything. And um, again, you know, thank you so much, William. Yes, of course. It's truly been my pleasure to do this podcast with you today. The pleasure is all mine, and everyone, uh, if you want to learn more about it, follow Drag Me Up William King on Facebook. To I'll sure I'll post more about this event as time gets closer. And until next time, everyone, keep spreading the love. Awesome.